Yo, yo, what's up? This is Eric White, Hispanic who knows no Spanish. That's me. And you're listening now to the Feedback Podcast. What up, everybody? It's back with the Feedback Podcast, where we talk about everything nightlife related here in Austin. And in this episode, I sit down with the Austin music ambassador slash hometown kid, born and raised, Mr. T-Double. I mean, the man's been in the music business here in Austin for 25 years continuously. And so his body of work and his achievements are very impressive. He has so many awards and he's done so much for the local scene. It's crazy. So we talk about how he got started in the music business at a very young age. Talk about the local scene back then, the local scene now, how it's changed. Uh, talk about pay to play, talk about producing, songwriting, and the business side of the music industry and the Urban Artists Alliance that he started to help artists out there trying to make it. I mean, the man is full of knowledge and full of wisdom, and he's willing to share it with everybody. So this one's a good one, guys, especially if you're an artist out there trying to make it. And make sure you listen all the way through because he has a little surprise for you at the end. And one last thing before we get started, uh, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate the show, uh, give me some comments, give me your feedback about the show, I don't know what you guys think, and uh, so I can make it better and better every week. Alright, let's go. And we're live, welcome to the Feedback Podcast, my name is Back, and today I have the honor to speak to... The legendary music ambassador of Austin, Mr. T Double. How you doing, man? What up? <laughs> Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Of course. You call, I'm here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh you were born and raised in Austin, correct? Born and raised. Man. That's... Hometown kid. Yeah, that's right. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for for those who don't know, like you're you're um you've been in the music business here in Austin performing and producing for what 20 plus years now 20 plus years maybe 25 or so that's probably the longest isn't it yeah, you, yeah. it is yeah oh damn well i'm doubly honored yeah. the, the longest running yeah. uh yeah. artist here consistently running too you know what i mean like no years off and you know i didn't yeah. i didn't stop i didn't move away and then come back or you know quit making music for at least 25 plus years, I've been making music, doing shows, putting out records. So what is it? How did you get into it in the first place? Into wanting you, to do you, music? Yeah, I want to do music, yeah. Um, well, you know, I went to Maplewood Elementary when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was, I was, I had real bad asthma, and I was kind of chubby. So at recess, all the kids would go outside, and the doctor would tell my, the school doctor told my teacher that I couldn't go because my asthma was so bad that I might, you know, pass out or something. Pass out or die out yeah. on the playground. So they were like, you have to stay inside and find other stuff to do. Well, inside my classroom, there was a piano. So during the recess, I would always mess around on the piano. My teacher thought it was kind of cool. She was like, well, you know, you got a little bit of talent. So she hooked me up with the music teacher. Mm -hmm. So during recess, I would spend time with the music teacher. And then as I started getting more love for them, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad always played music. My mom always played soul and funk records. So... It was already in me, but then at that point, I was like, let me try to write some songs. Let me see what I can, And how, you know. how old were you? I was eight when I got, when I started really getting into music, and when I turned nine, it's when I mailed off my first demo to Warner Brothers. You were nine years old? Yeah. Do you remember what the song's about? It was called Strawberry Shortcake. 
Do you remember, I, do you remember I, the rhymes? No. Oh, that would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, a little bit, a little bit of history here. It was actually me singing. Oh. I wanted to be a singer first. Like a R- R&B. R&B type? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to do R&B first. So my first demo was Strawberry Shortcake, and I mailed that, you know, back then Austin was kind of spread apart. You know, everything is real close now. Yeah. So we had to catch three buses downtown. We had to mail off my demo. We had to do all these steps to mail it off, but it was Strawberry Shortcake. It was like an R&B song. I think my mom still has that, too. Did someone teach you? I mean, besides your your, your music teacher, or no, like how was, to write a song? No, was it, was just, it was just a natural thing. Like my dad always played music, so I would sit in front of the speakers, you know. And you know, if I was ch- I have an older brother, so if I was chasing my brother around the house, and my dad would put on some music, I would always stop in front of the speakers, and be like, like what was he playing? Like, James Brown. Like, what is that? Yeah, like James Brown, Slave, Ohio Players. Um, my dad was one of the first guys, you know, in my apartment complex to play Parliament. Oh, he was playing Prince, you know, and actually Warner, actually Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers. I was telling my mom, I said, I want to get into music. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to do that. And she was like, Okay, well, you know, how do how do, how are you going to do that? She never said, Okay, will you do this, this, this. Like she never held my hand through the process. Mm-hmm. She made it a thinking process. Well, what labels are you going to send it to? How are you going to get to that next step? So I went into my dad's records, and I just reached through some records, and I pulled out like. Prince, Dirty Mind or something. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the first records I got where he was on Warner Brothers. And on the back of his record, it said written, produced, arranged, composed by Prince. Uh-huh. He did everything. So I thought that's how you made records. That's you have to why do everything. So that's why I've never I never had any other producers do anything on my records. Cause I just that from that age I was like, okay, you gotta produce everything, write it, record it, mix it, everything. It, does Prince hold a special place now? Yeah. And actually, um, you know, kind of we'll get to this but you know with me dealing with the grammys yeah i went to the grammys and actually got to see prince like he was presenting there and we saw him at the after party and mm-hmm. so it was cool you know it kind of came it kind of came full circle you know what i mean to admiring the artist and then to be in the same room with him it was so it was wild but so you're nine years old you 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 mail out your demo yeah you don't do you hear back from them yeah they wrote me back and what they said <laughs> they wrote me was like you know the same the same letter they give all artists you know we received your demo it's not what we're looking for right now. Oh. But we wish, yeah, it wasn't like, wow, this is amazing. Strawberry shortcake. Yeah, they were like, you know, we, we appreciate it. You know, it's not what we're looking for right now, but keep on going. You know, which, you know, I'm sure it was the rubber stamp thing they sent out to a thousand yeah, artists. Right. But for a nine-year-old kid, I was like, I can do this. Oh, that didn't, that, I mean, you, you were not like, oh, shit, it's no, my it, first one. No, it, it didn't discourage me at all. It made me like somebody heard it. Yeah. Like somebody actually heard my song, you know what I mean? Like, because I recorded that song. I think that was one of the songs that I recorded at Sears. At Sears? Yeah. I would go to Sears with my mom on, on like Sundays. <laughs> guitar Center wasn't around back No, Guitar Center wasn't around. <laughs> I would go to Sears with my mom, and while she was looking for vacuum cleaners, I would take one of my dad's cassette tapes from his house. You know, it would have like Bobby Blue Bland and a whole bunch of old funk soul and blues yeah i would take one of his tapes i would go to sears i would get a keyboard from their keyboard department i would take it to their audio department where they had jam boxes on display uh-huh. i put my tape in there put the keyboard in front of the jam box pick any preset that was already in there you know some of they had salsa or waltz or yeah, yeah, yeah. something generic i put one of those and i played keys and i recorded my demos till my mom was ready to go so sometime while she's walking around for an hour or so i could i could knock out like four songs and either you know, I would stop when somebody said, hey, cut that out, kid, or my mom came. So I think that's where I recorded that first demo was at Sears like that. 
Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so what were you talking what were you talking about at so young? Yeah, strawberry, you know, that song would be like, you know, liking girls, like let me hold your books, let me walk you home from school and You know, I thought I was a little really R and B like. Yeah, I thought I was a little player. You know what I mean? Like, I actually made it because I wanted to impress a girl who was at my school. That's your motivation. And then that didn't that didn't go as planned. So <laughs> I was like, well, I got these songs. You know, let me see if I can send them to a record label. Maybe somebody can put them out. I don't know. I wasn't thinking about getting rich or famous. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. like, I got a bunch of songs, and maybe somebody will want to hear them. My mom was like, Well, how are you going to get people to hear them? I was like, Went through my dad's records. Pull up a Prince record, go down the address, and done. The next week we caught the bus. Damn, and that was it. So then, you're. Um, so when did you get? What year did you get on the scene then? What, how old were you when you got on? I say my first public public show performing with a with a group. I was maybe like, I would say thirteen. Thirteen? Yeah, I was in a group called Dope Melody. And it was me and another, my best friend, you know, we were in junior high together. His name was Chili Fresh, Charles Carter. And um, I would go to his house, you know, and we just kind of hung out. We would break dance together and we would just kick it. You know what I mean? His his mom and my mom were like, hey, y'all can do whatever thing because y'all aren't running the streets. You're not selling drugs. You're not, right, right, right. You're doing music. You're having fun. Go ahead and knock it out. So me and him would just start recording all these songs. We would save up our lunch money or money from our parents and we'd go rent drum machines. You know what I mean? That's how we would spend our money. You know what I mean? So we yeah, like, yeah. go get a drum machine. He got a turn. He got one turntable and a mixer. We saved up and, you know, and build it together. But that was one of our first shows. And my mom actually came to one of my first shows because I told her not to because I was embarrassed. I was like, I don't want you to see me rapping. <laughs> Do you remember where it was? I mean, it was somewhere on the east side, man. That's why I did all my shows. But she came and she stood in the back of the of the the venue, and I didn't notice her. But my my DJ, my friend Chili Fresh, he saw her and was like, man, man, isn't that your mom? And I was so embarrassed. That you killed it? Yeah. She was so proud of you? It was probably a really, really whack show. I spent most of the time rapping with my back to the crowd. Really? Yeah, I wasn't really like, look at me type of artist yet. I was still like, kind of shy, like, looking at Charles, because that's who I was comfortable with, mm -hmm. my boy. So I would always look at him, and he'd be like, turn around, turn around. <laughs> They're looking at you. You know, and our first show that we did probably had like, maybe 300 people there. So it wasn't a small... What was it for? Was it something... It was some kind of event, some kind of opening or some kind of business thing i remember but uh -huh. it was a lot of people there and i think his mom hooked us up with the gig because she knew the guy who knew the guy and yeah, yeah, yeah my son has a group and duh, duh, duh. so that was my first my first show was actually a pretty big show so what was it that really put you on the map then do you remember i don't know i think i mean I, your body of work is pretty yeah, impressive i think i think you know i would just I was just in the right place at the right time, being surrounded by the right people. Uh -huh. You know, it's like I didn't, I didn't mind. Always thought I had talent. You know, when you're younger, you're like, you got that ego. Yeah. Like I'm the best. I'm the dopest. But I always made sure that you know, if I saw somebody doing something great, like if there was a DJ Casanova who used to live here, mm -hmm. who was with Project Crew, and they were like the number one group in town, best hip hop group in town. They were touring and yeah. everything. I would go to him and be like, "How can I be down? Like y'all are doing it. Yeah. I want to learn how to do it." And he was like, hey, well, you know, you can carry my records. Mm -hmm. Start there. You know what I mean? Where everybody else was like, no, I ain't carrying his records. I'm too good. But I was like, I'll carry those records. It'll get me in the show free. Yeah. You know, I can hang out with him. And then when he saw that, we started talking more. And he was like, so what do you want to do? I was like, man, I want to learn how to make beats. And he had a studio. He was the first one in Austin, really, to have, like, NPCs, SP-12s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, like, almost two of everything. 
So, you know, we got real cool. And sometime on weekends, you know, he would call me and say, hey, you know, you want to come over? And I'll tell my mom, hey, can I go with Casanova? He'll come pick me up and we'll sit in his studio. And sometime he would leave and be like, hey, I'm going to go get me something to eat. I'm going to be going for an hour. And when I come back, I want you to make, I want you to have three beats for me to hear. And this was some of the time I'd be in front of new equipment. Like there'd be an SP-12. I've never turned it on. So you figured out you figured it out on your own. Had to, because he was he was serious. He was like, if I come back and you don't have no beats, I can't mess with you no more. You know, because he was never charging me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just saw that I had that hunger and that interest. So from hanging with them, more people started noticing me, and then I started going out and battling and doing more shows, and I just got known as that battle guy. Oh, so you start that came first? Yeah. No, the song. Yeah, the songwriting part. The songwriting and all that, you know. But that was more R and B. That was just like tipping my toe into it. Yeah. But then you know. Kind of like Keeling, in the middle of Keeling, I was always battling. We had an area in Keeling called the courtyard, like the outside place for lunch. Mm-hmm. I was battling everybody every day. That's all I did was battle, battle, battle. So I was doing more battling. Than, I would write songs, but they weren't really songs yet. They yeah. were just pages of raps. So did it help with the songwriting? It definitely, it, it definitely helps. And it helps, it helps now. It's like, you know, I'm known for freestyling. That's how I met you. Yeah, it's like I'm known for that. So it's like I can do that at the at the drop of a hat. So if I'm doing a show and I'm performing one of my songs and say I forget a lyric. Yeah. Most artists would just stop and be like, oh. Yeah. Stop. The, you know, but I can, I, I, can keep it go, I can keep it going and flip it where you wouldn't even know I messed up. Because I just like, I know how to flip it and flip that switch where now I'm in freestyle mode and I can just still keep going. That's what Zilli was talking about. Yeah. How it's, it's a switch in your mind yeah. that just, okay. Here I'm, 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 um, I'm rapping what I wrote, and then yeah. now I'm being creative, and yeah. everything just coming and out it just, on its own. And, and you and get it, in the zone yeah. like that, and it just happens. Like there are some people where you know they're freestyling, and you can tell when it switched. Like okay, now they're trying to freestyle, but artists like myself, Zeely, a few others, when we flip it, you won't even notice it. You'll yeah. still think we're doing, you know, yeah. stuff off the album. I think the only, the only, the only thing that. The only way that people recognize sometimes that somebody's really freestyling off the top is when they bring up things that are happening right. around them. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's yeah. just you know rhyming yeah. simple stuff." And we talk about he's your talking, shirt. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's picking shoot. out somebody in the crowd. Totally. And then, but, oh, okay, I get it. Now it's just totally off the top. Totally. But yeah, you know, what I mean, like it's hard to pinpoint an actual moment where people actually started paying attention to me because I used to be called. My first hip-hop name, see, this is real history I'm about to give you here. I'll go ahead. My first hip-hop name was called TJ Jam for Tyranny Johnson Jams, right? Uh Because I wanted to have a production company. I wanted to write songs for people. You know, I I always thought big. Even when I was a kid, I was like, I want to do that. And then after that, when I got to Keelan, I became, well, around sixth to seventh grade, I became Whistle T. Why Whistle? And Whistle, because I used to whistle at the girls. At the girls, yeah, I used to, you know, when you get a girl's attention, you be like, you whistle at them, like say what's up, you whistle, <laughs> like old school pimping, you know what I'm saying? So I was, wh- I would whistle at the girls, and people start calling me Whistle T, but you know, and then it became Whistle T E, Whistle T double E, uh huh. And then a friend of mine named Mark Pennant at Keelan, he ran track, he started calling me T double E, and then it just broke down to T double, and that's basically been. My name ever since. So T Double is not really like a rap name; it's more like a neighborhood nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Because it's been there for so long, so everybody knows me as that. Whistle T, I like that. Yeah, Whistle T, man. That was it. That was it, man. Like that was that was the joint. You know what I mean? We had we had the we had red jackets on with airbrushed on the back, dope melodies and our names on it. Like we was hip hop. I mean, we were hip hop. I mean, your 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 like I said, your body of work is very extensive. You what you had award after award. You got. 
you got your own day, like right. Rise Against the Storm, like it's on right. September 30th. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a song featured on Breaking Bad. Yep. You were the on the Board of Governors for Texas Chapter of the Grammys mm-hmm. and all kinds of rewards and yep. best hip-hop artists. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah, it would take me hours. Been to, blessed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously, this is pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty dope stuff. Mm-hmm. So what is it, um, when you first came on, what was the... Um, what was the scene like locally? Um, man, like in, in the 80s, you know what I mean? It's like the scene was very unified. It's like everybody supported everybody. It's uh, like, honestly, I can't even think of a beef that mm-hmm. that got to the point where people were like, I hate you. But was it that was it big? The, the scene 80s? was the scene was huge. Like, you know, we've we've had shows where a thousand plus people would come to see a local back then. Yeah, but I mean, when people think uh, hip hop I mean, in the eighties, mm-hmm. I, I, I would think if you think Texas, you don't think Austin. You think Houston, Dallas, right. maybe. So Austin, Austin was not really Austin. Austin was popping first, as far as a lot of hip hop. Like Houston had their own scene. Like every every city, like Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, you know, maybe even San Marcos and a few other places, they all had their own scene. But as far as consistency, that was really breaking out at the time. Yeah. Austin had it because you know we had Papa Chuck that you know we had Project Crew that was doing great thing they were already touring in Japan and you know all this stuff we had Cooley Girls one of the first female hip hop groups here wow. and they were all about positive like they performed at Ann Richards inauguration mm-hmm. like the first hip hop group to like perform at the Capitol for her inauguration yeah you know and then we had Papa Chuck which was part of Chuck and Quince and Papa Chuck went on to sign with Relativity Records and he had music produced by I believe Molly Mall and. Oh, a lot of people, you know, what I mean, so he was the first breakout artist, mm-hmm. you know, to really come out, you know, from, you know, because I went to high school, I went to Reagan with Papa Chuck. So I used to see Papa Chuck all the time at school and I would go up to him and I'll be that little kid and be like, let's battle. Really? You know, because when you're young, you know, <laughs> if you want to get known, you go at the top. Yeah. You go after the. Yeah. You go after the. First. You know, what I mean, so I would always see him chilling with his girl or sitting on the car and I'd go up to him and be like, yo, let's let's do this. And he would just laugh and be like, man, you funny, kid. You funny. But every day. <laughs> every day you went back. I was on him like, man, let's do it. Let's do it. And then, <laughs> you know, he was like, no, nah, man, nah, I, I'm, I don't do all that. I don't do that. I know he would have murdered me, but he was like, no, nah, no, nah, man. But then finally, you know, he, I got introduced to him through Casanova, who was doing his music. And he was like, yo, this, you know, this is T-Double. You know what I'm saying? So then he was like, oh, man, you the kid from school. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. Okay. So then he started, you know, respecting what I was about. And was like, you know, I, I'll come for you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not afraid to battle or rap against whoever. Yeah. Still that same way. You know what I mean? Because you got to step up to the plate, you know, at any given time with it. So, you know, he got signed and he got his deal. And, you know, Austin's had a lot of things. We had a bunch of record labels. This was the first place where they had Def Jam South before it went to Atlanta. Oh, shit. It was here. Okay. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. So Austin was really the, the it was going to be the Mecca. I think one of the problems was... We had the talent, mm-hmm. but not the business know how to capitalize on those on those opportunities. Right, and actually, this is a good. Uh, we'll get to that later as far as the right. business side of the thing. But let's get back to your. Um, I guess you got what I said. Twenty two albums. Yeah, my new one will be my twenty third. Acrobatics. Yeah, and why you keep? Why are you putting out so many? Why are so I prolific? Don't, I don't. I don't know, man. It's just like. I just I just create like that, and I think I make so much music that I kind of just want to put it out there. Uh huh. You know what I mean? I just, you know, uh, if you look at it, a lot of people see a lot of similarities between me and Prince. 
where he put out so much music that Warner Brothers was like, we're not going to put out any more of your records because we oh. can't market and promote them all. And that became his issue with Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. Where he put Slave on his face and all these things because they told him that we're not going to put out your music that you're making. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like I wanted to be independent so I could put out a record a week if I felt like it. A rec- a record every two weeks, a record a month if I feel like I it. mean you you already you already had the I guess the the not the business sense, but I said the pro you already knew the process because right. you were challenged early early in your career. Right. So and you you know, you learn how to, you know, use keyboards, how yep. to mix and all those things. So yep. you had all the tools already. Right. So just a matter of putting the music out. Yeah. So do you do you uh do you write first or do you Produce beat first. I used to, I used to write first. I used to write the songs because you know I was I was real concerned about my structure mm-hmm. because um there was a guy who still lives here. His name was Andre Walker, and he was one of the guys who worked at South by Southwest doing the hip hop. Like right. there's been a few of us who did hip hop for South by. Yeah, you're one of the and, yeah I was one of the, I was one of the music directors. Yeah. Well, he's the one that brought me in. I came in after him. Uh-huh. And I used to always hang with him, and I would let him hear my songs right. And, he, you know, we, he was my boy. You know I mean? Like, if I came over here and said, yo, yo, Bach, check out some music. I was like, yo, check out my new song. He would hear it and be like, that's whack. I was like, it's whack. And I'm thinking it's dope. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's, what's wrong with it? He's like, it ain't a song. It's basically a battle rapper rapping. Ah. He was like, there's no hook. There's no depth. There's no context. There's nothing. There's no texture to that. You're just like... Yeah, there's no emotion behind it. Yeah, he would like it. He, stru- just... he would like structure it and fit the beat more. Cause I just had a bunch of beats I was rapping over. Uh-huh. I wasn't really tailoring beats to the raps. Okay. Where it sounded like it goes together. I was just rapping over any beat I had because I had so many beat tapes, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he was like, Man, make songs. Learn how to make some songs. So then I started tweaking my sound and structuring my raps, and then I was like, okay, now I got the rap. Let me give me some samples. Let me give me some drum machines and start making my beats to fit the raps with the breakdowns and all that. So then it, it was a a two-part process. Mm-hmm. And then after I got that together, I started learning how to mix more. See, now, though, when I'm in the studio, I'm making a beat. If I start making a beat that's grooving, like it's happening, right? Yeah. I usually have my pen and pad. I still write on pen and pad. I still have my pen and pad to the left of me on a desk or something. So I'm making the beat doing the kick, snares, samples, getting the groove going. And while that's happening, I'm writing a rap. So by the time I finish making the beat, the rap is done too. And my mic and it is... just come. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it just come, if the If the the music sets the tone for what I'm going to rap about. Okay. So if I find, you know, a, a slow, gloomy track, I'll probably rap about, you know, a hard time or growing up. If I find something that's more up-tempo, it might be a battle rap, it might be a fun rap. Mm-hmm. So the music dictates it. But once I have both those things done almost at the same time, my microphone is always plugged up. It's always going into my compressor, always going into Pro Tools. I can easily turn around, and when I'm making the beat, I'm recording it into Pro Tools once I'm done. So when I make the beat, I hit Record Pro Tools, I run the MPC, the beat's laid down, bring it back, lay vocals. I do a quick mix on it. I can usually mix it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I move on to the next song. So I can on a good day, I could probably do... Seven to ten songs in a day. So how long for an album? Like a week? A weekend? About a week. If okay. I want it tight. You know what I mean? Because like for each record, I probably record usually between 20 to 30 songs for each record. And usually if you look at my albums, I only put like maybe 10 songs yeah, yeah, yeah. on a record. Yeah, so I noticed that. Because I want each record to be just 
banger after banger after banger. So I don't want a bunch of fillers and intro, outros and interludes. I don't want music. So you don't... Um, you actually... One, one thing that I've noticed is recently, I mean, you grew up in the the golden age mm-hmm. of hip-hop. So you're more... Like, I'm more... Uh, I can relate to you as far as... I like This is the type of hip-hop that I grew up on. Right. This is the type of hip-hop that I like. Right. And a lot of the stuff that's coming out today, to me at least, it feels like th- there's no much, there's not that much production value. Right. What I call production value is that right. you can you can listen to a beat and you're like, okay, this beat, I can hear the intricacies in it. I can hear a key, mm-hmm. a keyboard. I can hear a violin. I can mm-hmm. hear some instruments. I can hear a snare. I can hear right. this and that. So all that's been kind of stripped away right. to just a basic baseline. Yeah. So do you feel like you have to? keep up with that movement or you like no you just stick not to at all no not at all and that's one thing about being independent is i can do me you yeah. know what i mean it's like if you look at my body of work and the history of me doing music anybody can tell you t double has never tried to be nothing but t double mm-hmm. it's like if you if somebody hears my music and they don't get it i'm not going to change my music to fit that mm-hmm. what they should be hearing like you won't do, hear me doing snap music you won't hear me doing trap music you won't hear me doing the so-called in the club yelling, chanting music. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. A lot of my records are just straight hip-hop, boom, bap. But it still gets the point over, and it, I try to keep it lyrical. I try to keep the beats moving. It's, you know, I, I focus on drums. A lot of my beats are drum-driven, where the drums got to be banging. Right, right, right. But I never, I never, I've, I've never changed anything. Like, I got my own formula. I got my own lane, and I'm good with that. That's good. That's yeah. really good. And I'm good Because, I mean, and, and one, it, it, for, for people... I mean, the younger generation listening to that, they're like, well, that's not the type of stuff that's played now, but that's where it, com- that's where it comes from. Yeah. And it really teaches them. That's yeah, cool, you, you know what I mean? You, you, you really got to, you know, be secure in who you are mm-hmm. and be authentic with the music you're making, and you'll be good. You know what I mean? Like, every time I record a song or I make an album, I don't ever go to bed saying, man, if I had put one more song on there with a, a crazy new dance... <laughs> or if I ever catch you with a dance, yeah. Man, if I ever do I'll... something like that, then I'd be on the radio. I don't even think that. I'm just like, man, I made a great record. You know what I mean? Like, I could ride around and listen to my own record and be happy with it. I mean, an album a week, you could yeah. do that, and you have to apply for the Guinness World Record yeah. or something. I, know, I knock albums out fast. You know what I mean? Like, some people hear it, you know, maybe like 23 albums. You didn't really do that. But see, it, the real science of that is. I'm up to 23 albums from the albums when I started counting. Before I did this 23, well, before I did this 23 albums, I had already done at least 15 albums before. Uh-huh. I was already doing mixtapes. I was already doing T-Double Live at McCallum, T-Double Live from the Courtyard. Uh-huh. I was already putting out cassettes, and I was already putting out records. But you see how someone who sees that would say, okay, I've put out you know, 30-some albums. Mm-hmm. You know, Well, how much work goes into it? Because, I, like, I'm from, the, I'm from the generation that, you know, people used to wait for an album to come out. Right. Like, when it came out, oh, shit, new Wu-Tang just yep. dropped. New Mob Deep just dropped. Yep. Like, it was an event. Mm-hmm. And I think um, in, today's generation, in today's generation where things go fast, mm-hmm. and if you don't put out music yeah. on a regular basis, you get, lost. you get lost. People forget you, and they move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, I guess... You were way ahead of your time to to be producing yeah. and see, an album. Yeah, a week. And, and with my thing is, you know, another thing with it is, if you look at the music industry with artists putting out records, back with Wu Tang, a lot of these guys they didn't have studios, mm-hmm. so they couldn't just go in there and make a record. 
They had to wait till they get their budget from the label. Yeah. To tell them how much they can spend to make that record. That is true. And then they had to find which producers, which studio, which artwork, which all these things. I can just go upstairs into my studio. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you had so many hands. In, yeah, I can just involved go. Yeah, in and the, that you know, and that's another reason why I like being independent. I like that I own my masters, I own my publishing, I own my copyrights, I own everything. So when I do a licensing deal, like Breaking Bad, we'll get to that. When I do mm-hmm. licensing things, I own a hundred percent of it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't have to split that. You know, I was on Good Vibes, which was out of L.A., and they were going through Interscope, and before that, they were going through New Groove, a distributor. But when I was with them. You know, that's that's where Jay Dillon, Slum Village signed to them after I was with them. Bahamadia signed to oh, them. Oh, shit, yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, that was like the only label that I've ever signed with. But when I got with them, I told them, I said, look, they heard me rap and they were like, you want to make a record? Mm-hmm. I said, sure. Why not? You know, yeah, let's make a record. You know, you're out of here in L.A. Let's let's do that. But I want to own it. I want to own my masters. And I, okay I want to own that? my publishing. <laughs> they didn't have no choice. I caught them at a good time where they were trying to expand their brand. So they wanted to get out of L.A. and get out of making just vinyl and getting the CDs. So I was the first CD release with Lost Scriptures that was in Best Buy and all these stores. Yeah, yeah. So I helped them propel to another level, and they helped me. And then when Slum Village got in a bidding war with a bunch of different labels, they saw how my records were doing and how they were promoting my records, and then Good Vibes signed, I mean, and Good Vibes signed Slum Village, Jay Dillon and all them. So it was like, if you're not, not going to own your masters in publishing, it was no deal. It was no deal. And at the time, and let me explain that. At the time, when I went to L.A. for that, I was working at, I was interning at Arista Records here. And I became friends with the president, and I told him what I wanted to do musically mm-hmm. and business-wise. So he would sit me down and tell me about publishing, owning the music. How long ago was that? That was like 98. Oh, damn. Yeah, because I got with Good Vibes in 99, and my record came out in, no, my record came out in 99, yeah. So he he put me on and was like, hey, you know, learn this, learn this in the contract, learn this. So when I got there and I talked to them, I said, if you want me to sign to your label, true story, this true story. If you want me to sign to your label, you have to send me a demo of your label. I'm not sending you a demo of my music. You heard me rap. I rap live when they saw me. Mm-hmm. I said, send me what, which of your albums you get on the radio? Which of your artists do you put on tour? How many units of every artist have you sold? What is your marketing campaign? You knew all of How that. How do you brand? Yeah, because I, I was working at Arista Records, and I, I, you know, I read books, and I had the right people around me that when they talked, I didn't tell them I knew more than them. I just listened, like, oh, really? You do that? And then, oh, you do, do what now? And then, okay. So when I went to Good Vibes, I said, this is what I want. So when I came back, I went up there for the, for the Gavin, mm-hmm. a music conference. When I came back that Sunday, that Tuesday, the following week, I had a package at my door with all their records, all their press. And they really every, wanted you. <laughs> everything I asked for, yeah. You know what I mean? Because they were surprised that I stepped up to it. I said, okay, we can do the deal. I said, but I got to own my publishing. After the term of our contract, I want to be able to have another artist sign. So Mirage from Austin, yeah, I know Mirage, Mirage, yeah. he got a deal through Good Vibes too, through my, through my situation where he got the same deal where he owns his record right now. So it was it was it was it was a fifty fifty partnership. We were never artists. Uh-huh. It was good vibes slash kinetic. So I went in in there as a business. I didn't go in there as an artist. So when they got into their little situation from flipping distributors and they got caught up in the industry thing, yeah. Slum Village and Jay Dilla and all of them were caught up in that because they were signed as artists. So they couldn't go nowhere. They had to wait till all that cooled out before they could re-sign with somebody else. Oh, damn. whereas my thing was a business kinetic. 
I walked away with a hundred percent ownership of my records and everything. Like I could put that record out today and get a hundred percent of it. So once you got that, were you touring and everything? And I'll admit that was my biggest mistake is I didn't tour off that record. I, 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 you know, and, and I think that's one of the best things you can do is admit where you went wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I never toured off that record. You know, I was selling records everywhere, and I was just kind of chilling. Like, okay, you know, cool. My records everywhere. It's in the source, XXL, yeah, vibe. Like, you know, I walk down the street in the Tower Records when you used to be on the drag. Yeah, Tower Records. Everybody be like, you know, <laughs> T Double, what's up? You know what I mean? So I was like, I was that hometown kid. <laughs> And we'll get back to that later. You know what I, mean? I was chilling. <laughs> but then after a while, after I started maturing in the game, I was like, I left so much money on the table mm-hmm. by not going to tour. You know, I could have went over there and maybe made, you know, five, ten thousand a show. Easy. And I wasn't even if they wanted you that bad, they would have put yeah, all the money behind I wasn't even, it. I wasn't even thinking it. You know what I mean? But with the type of deal I had, it wasn't really the label's, you know, responsibility to put me on tour. Because it was 50-50. Right. So I control, you know, they did the pressing and the distribution and some of the marketing, and I handled the artist end. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really follow through on my end to say, you know, I should be touring. But because my deal, the way my deal was structured, I never lost money in that deal. Right. You know what I mean? So I still got saved by the way I structured it. So... That, I came into wow. the game like I came into the game owning it. So I, I mean, came, you had, I you had everything like, playing, everything. I just, this is what I want. We were gonna put out, the, we're gonna put out the T Double record, Lost Scriptures. We we're gonna put out the Mirage record, Life Is a Rhythm. Mm-hmm. We we're gonna put out an artist that Mirage found named Icon from Prairie View because Mirage was going to Prairie View University when I got the deal. Mm-hmm. I called him in his dorm room and said, "You want a record deal?" Because <laughs> Good Vibe said we want to sign your boy too. Because they got my album when I submitted it to him. At the end of my dat tape, there was some space, right, where they were in the office talking. Mirage's song came on, his demo we did. They heard that and said, who's that? They called me and said, yo, who's this kid? I said, that's my boy. I know, I know Mirage when we were like 14. I said, that's my boy. He's standing on the street. And they were like, we want to sign him too. I said, only if he gets the same type of deal I got. And I, then, I, you know, Mirage brought Icon. We were going to do the Icon record, and then we were going to do the Kinetic compilation. Yeah. And then after the compilation, we were going to jump to a major. So we already had our deal laid out, but after Mirage's record, when the, the distribution started messing up, records weren't getting in the stores, and the whole business end came into it. Mm-hmm. But because we had a business joint venture, we could walk away with all our music and all our material and not be held to them. And then when that that record dropped, everybody in Austin started seeing press that was saying I was from L.A. You know, Los Angeles artist T-Double. Los Angeles artist T-Double. That's where the label was. Right? So the press was... You had no say in that? They just put it out? They were just running the press like that, right? And the press just kind of didn't really read it and just took it up. Like, you look on the back of my Lost Scriptures record, there's a Texas flag. Mm -hmm. It's artwork, but it's the Texas flag. And... um. I told them when they made my album cover, I didn't want my picture on it. Like my, you look at Lost Scriptures, it's like a, a drawing of yeah, somebody drawing levitating. That, yeah, yeah. I said I don't want my picture on it because people judge you too quick when they see you. So I didn't want a picture of me because you know they'd be like, oh, he's some Texas kid and he must be white. Look, if you had one of those covers with the the shiny stuff and the the big the head mm-hmm. uh, the big head and like all the stuff in diamonds, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, one of those uh, pen and pixel covers. Yeah. So, you know, they did this cover and it worked, you know what I mean? And it moved and whatever. So, you know, it was just the, it was just the right time, man, to know how to really negotiate the deal. And I give all that, all that, a lot of that to Cameron Randall, the president at Arista Austin, mm-hmm. who really took me, took me under his wing and took me in his office one day and was like, 
here's some game. You can either learn this game or you can just sit here like, I mean, I'm, you like were, I'm bushing. You were really blessed to be around all these people. Yeah, right time, right time, Casanova, right time, right stuff. place. You know, I can't forget Jan Bozarth, where she played a pivotal role, too, because I was part of a program that they had for, like, at-risk youth, right? Yeah. And it was called Tribes. And the point of Tribes kind of goes back to Urban Artist Alliance, which we'll get to. Yeah. Tribes was, like, a program where they took kids, you know, from broken homes or you know, at-risk youth and all these things. They got us together, and we made a record company. And it was called Tribes Records. And our 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 project for the class was to make a record. So we booked the studio. We recorded it. We mixed it. We did the whole thing. And actually, back then, I think it was maybe... You were teaching them? No, no. I was one of the students. Oh, okay. And Jan Bosar moved here from... This is crazy, because she moved here from L.A., I believe. And she worked at Warner Brothers, where they had Prince. Mm-hmm. So we always talked, and she was like, I see him and you because you're always just on it. You want to do it your own way. You want to be hands-on. You you know, you're bossy. You want, you know, it's you like, that's good, though. <laughs> so, but she really looked out for me all the, like, we're still friends to this day. And she was the first one who gave me a book on the music business with a little sticky note in it on the publishing page about, you can read all this other stuff about managers and whatever, but read publishing because you'll be making money off that till you're 50, 60, 70 years old. And because of that, I'm still making money off of records that I put out 20 years ago. So, oh man. So it, you know, it's if, you know, people come into your life, man, and you just you just got to be able to receive it. You know what I mean? Like plenty of times in my life, growing up in the neighborhoods I was with, in situations I could have went left. Yeah, I could have just said whatever. But I saw that there was something there, what I really wanted to do, and all these people, magical people just got placed in my life, man. They were just like, boom, boom, got, boom, yeah, boom, boom. You got really... You know, and I was there to receive it. Like, I never fronted on it. I never been like, she don't know what she's talking about. Oh, that's the wrong... Yeah, that's the wrong attitude. Whatever. Have. You know, but yeah. she was like, hey, do this, learn this, do that. So from all that game and Cameron Randall, when I met Good Vibes, I, I put it on them. I want to mm-hmm. own my music. I want to own everything. If I can't own it, what are we talking about? Because I was already moving records in Austin. So then... The, I mean, over the years, I mean, you got all all this all this knowledge and all this um, all these people that came in your life to right. uh, and uh, learn about the business. So, what is it that's happening today? You think is is uh, lacking since it's changed so much? I mean, I think it's changed. Yeah, I think I think the main thing with artists today is we're kind of back to that pivotal point in Austin where we had a bunch of talent, uh-huh. but the business isn't there. You know what I mean? Like the education. You know, we have a bunch of artists who just want to get on. They'll pay to be on a show. Yeah. They'll pay to do whatever. Like, they think money will make it happen. And I tell them all that. You know, you know how you hear the saying, it takes money to make money? Yeah. And in some cases, it is true. You need some kind of investment to get it started. But a lot of the, a lot of the times, the investment you get is from somebody you have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. So you got to build relationships. Some, it's all about relationships, man. Like, everything works around that. You know, so is it that the artists today don't value that they just go do the show, get trying yeah. to think they get can get exposure just because they're playing during yeah, South by? Yeah, just a because. lot. You know, a lot of it now is clickish. Like back in the days, you know, what I mean, we had the clicks and we had the crews and we had our own thing, right? But we always supported each other. If I threw a show, five hundred people would come to it. Your project crew or flow mob or somebody did a show, a thousand people would come to it. We had Houston artists want to open up for Austin artists. Oh. You know what I mean? So it was real. It was real. And now you have artists who are, like, competing for, you know, 15-minute time slots. They're trying to 
underpay, you know, undercut other artists to pay to get on shows and all these crazy things, man, instead of just saying, okay, let's work together. Let's educate ourselves so we can come as a unified force. Because if you notice, most there was a point in time in hip hop where everybody had a crew. You had the boot camp click, mm-hmm. Wu-Tang Clan. Yep. You had like all these things of all these different artists who necessarily really wasn't friends, but they saw if they worked together, they can they work for the bigger the bigger good. Right. Because the way I mean, um, growing up growing up in France, like mm-hmm. I only had access to so much. Uh, American hip hop, right? But the way it grew on me is that I listened to a song featuring so and so. I already know the artist is featuring so and so, and I like the song. Okay, let me see who, what so and so does, and then like that, you start building your exactly your network, and you start you know finding out about new artists exactly. So that, you're saying that 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 kind of stuff is not uh, happening that much these days. Not so much. Is, you know what, what I mean? Is it is it a hip hop thing or is it you see that another? I, I see that across the board. You know what I mean? Because the industry is changing. You're not really selling as many records as you used to. There's not a lot of money in touring as there used to be. So you got to find other avenues. So when that happens, you know, I think I think you know right now we're at a point where there's more artists than consumers. You know what I mean? There are like you know mm-hmm. there are more people who want to be rappers yeah. than people who are actually buying the music by the rappers. So, like, who do you sell your music to? And how do you diversify your music to mm-hmm. get into other things? Like, you know, eight, nine years ago, I was lucky to make that switch to licensing, mm-hmm. you know, with TV shows and movies and all that, you know, because I saw I saw where things were going. I saw, like, okay, we're going to have so many rappers. Every, how, yeah, I mean. How it, are you going to get a show? You know, if I charge, you know, just random numbers, these are not actual numbers, but if I, if I say, okay, you want to book a T-double and I charge $1,000. Mm-hmm. Then somebody else might say, "I'll do it for five hundred Then somebody else say, "I'll do it for two hundred Then somebody else say, "I'll do it for fifty dollars in drink tickets." And then somebody say, "I'll just do it for drinks." Then somebody else will say, "I'll do it just put my name on the flyer." You know what I mean? And that's uh, and that and that's how it's going. Where the quality is not really what promoters are looking for. They're looking for who can they get cheapest to do the gig. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a lot of shows and there's like ten opening acts, you're like, "Come on, really?" But then you're like, okay, most of them paid to be on the show, and that's why there's so many. So is that is that something that um, that's on the crowd? Is it the promoter? Is it the venue? It's a, it's a little bit on it's a little bit on everybody. You know what I mean? The crowds the crowds go to what's there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If that's all that's being presented to them, that's where they'll go. So you can't really throw a lot on the crowd. The promoters really have more of a responsibility as far as booking quality acts. Mm-hmm. They should be the ones with their ear to the street. Who's doing something? Who's who's that next to blow? Who's really got it going on? Let's book them mm-hmm. and let's pay them. Because if you throw quality shows, you, people will keep coming back and you'll make that money back. But if you get like 20 acts on your show and they each pay $200, they pay you $200 to perform, Yeah, the, you could care less what you make off the door because you've already met, you've already turned a profit. Right. And you're really looking out for your own pocket, not yeah. necessarily the artist. And yeah. that, that's the whole uh, pay-to-play yeah. thing, right? So is, is is that over at this point? Pay-to-play is never over. It's just we came at it so hard that uh-huh. it's kind of went underground. That, you know, there was a point in time, like, before South By and during South By, there were maybe, like, 10 flyers a day that said, you want to perform, pay me 200 400 The highest I think we saw was, like, $2,500 for, like, a 30-minute slot. Holy shit! Yeah. They'd be opening for somebody big, cause no, it they wasn't. It they was opening for other random locals from around the town. So you think if you charge, you get somebody and say, okay, they pay in, you know, just say two thousand dollars a slot, yeah, and you book ten acts, you could care who comes through the door. 
I don't care because I've already made, you know, right, 10 Gs. I already made guap. I ain't even tripping. Yeah, but for for uh, someone who goes to the show, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here yeah, the art, two the, hours. Yeah, look. the customers are cheated and the artists don't get any benefits. You know what I mean? Like when I do when I do a show, if somebody wants me to do a show and they don't want to pay me, mm-hmm. one of the main things I ask are, is it a benefit? Is it a fundraiser? Is it for a cause? Because mm-hmm. I'll do those if it makes sense. Is is there a cover charge? Mm-hmm. Are there drinks being sold? You got to pay me because there's revenue being exchanged. You're not promoting this show just to promote it. If there's a cover charge and there's drinks being sold, you're getting a percentage of that. Right. So you should be able to pay the so artist. Looking, yeah, you're looking out for your own pocket. Yeah, you got you to gotta be fair. You know, and, and when I do shows, I, I, I mention all the acts potentially on that bill. If they tell me, I'm like, are you paying so-and-so? Mm-hmm. You should. Are you paying them? You should. You should. You know, and sometimes they'll be like, okay, T, I'll pay you. But I won't pay them. I'm like, you got to pay everybody. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to, you know, walk out there in the night and I got money and then other groups are scrounging around. How are they going to get gas money? How are they going right, to get right. home? How are they going to do whatever? You know, they can't sell any merch because people really aren't buying your product. That shows. So I want to make sure that every artist at least gets something. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I say, man, it's because I've been doing it here so long that I've seen that that cycle, that hill, you know what I mean, where it's going good and everybody's making money, then it drops off and only a few people are making money and then nobody's making money. Mm-hmm. But we can really structure the scene where everybody can get paid. Well, with all the festivals now that are happening, I mean, there's more now than ever. Right. You know, um, I think, is that something that's still happening even more now the city's growing, people are coming in and, you know, people think, oh, Austin, capital yeah. of live music, so I got to yeah. be there as an artist, but I'm going right. to... The the hustle, I mean, the whole pay to play thing is more of a shortcut, right? Than anything else, right? So it's not really like oh, a, I believe the hype. If, if you're not experienced in the business, yeah, and you don't know that you're being ripped off, you just believe in the hype, yeah. then you just jump on it and pay whatever yeah. just yeah, to pay, be out there. Pay pay to play is a line skipper. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be at the back of the line waiting to get into the X Men movie, right? You want to get right there in the front where you can get the best three glasses and the free Wolverine glove or whatever. <laughs> so how are you going to do that? Okay, well, I'll pay this person. I'll pay this person. I'll pay that person. And then you perform at the show, and usually, you know, your set time is cut in half, or you don't go on when you're supposed to, mm-hmm. or nobody's there to watch you. So if you spend two hundred, five hundred, a thousand on a performance, and there's no way for you to make that money back, there's no potential of return on your revenue investment, then you've made a bad investment. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of shows when you see artists, where's their merch table? Usually in the back in the corner in the dark. Right. If I'm paying you or, you know, we're, we have some kind of thing like that, I want my merch table right by the door. I want it right up in front. I want my name big on the flyer. I want to be treated just like I'm damn near the headliner mm-hmm. because I'm paying you that extra revenue that don't treat me like I'm just, you know, some guy who goes on at 8 o'clock and I paid you $500. Right. But I I had um Eric White on the show um and but from a promoter standpoint, yeah, you're looking out. You look. You're looking out um, uh, at your own pocket. That's what matters. Right. How much money do I make back? Right. But as, as an artist, it it sucks. Yeah. Now, has there been any kind of any stories from people who actually use that? Artists have used that to their advantage. To okay, well, like you said, if I'm go- if I'm paying, you know, five hundred bucks for twenty minutes or whatever. Then yeah, I want my name big on the flyer. I want to be able to meet all the 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 people who right. are putting this event together. I want to have some kind of follow up with the uh, uh, event coordinators. I don't right. know what's going on and so on. I I have not heard one story 
Oh shit. From one artist who said, I paid to get on the show and because of that, I got booked on more shows that paid. Or because of that, I was able to sell X amount of CDs at the show. Mm-hmm. Or because of that, I was able to meet the venue owner or another person. I've never heard one of those stories. So that, that amendment that uh, that passed, was it this year? Yeah. In February? So what is that? Basically what that says is no new venue being constructed will get a, additional funding from the city if they participate in pay-to-play. Or if they has a promoter, anybody in there who's using that venue as a pay-to-play Hub, so it only applies to new venues. Only new venues, not yeah. the ones that not, already. Not the ones that are already here. Oh, but it's still it's that's still, a step. That's a good yeah. It's still a monumental thing, man. I'm I'm very honored to be a part of that because the whole paid to play thing started because of hip hop. You know, I partnered with Jennifer Houlihan, who's with Austin Music People with AMP, and we had a talk maybe a year and a half ago. You know, before the whole thing blew, mm-hmm. and she was like, you know, how can we work together? You know, because I'm like, you know, the hip hop ambassador. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I handle all the hip hop stuff. And I was like, well, we got this pay-to-play thing. But I just wanted to know how to properly attack it. Because with me being an artist, I don't want to make the hip-hop scene look bad. I always mm-hmm. try to make sure that we're preserving a proper light and that we know what we're doing. So I never I never moved on that out of anger. I wanted to make sure that I moved because I had the proper facts, I had the proper team, yeah. and I knew what I was talking about and how we were going to proceed with it. And we had enough collective evidence Uh to present and say, see what these promoters are doing, Uh you know, and South by Southwest and even before provided all that, when you saw all the flyers, you know, we were seeing flyer. It got to the point where people were sending us flyers. Like somebody asked me to do a show and told me I should pay them $500 and here's the flyer. So we didn't have to go out and, you know, beat people over the head and look for it. It was just coming at us and it was crazy. And we were just like, okay, what are we going to do now? So we went to the Austin music commission. Uh We spoke to them. We told them about our plight and how we wanted to change it and what we wanted to do. And they listened to it and they took it to the next step. And it's crazy how life works because the Austin Music Commission really couldn't do anything for us. They listened to us mm-hmm. and they said, okay, we, that's wrong. But nothing we can do for it. One of the city council members was up late one night. She, she, she said this at a city council meeting. She was up late one night. She saw us fighting for artist rights on TV. That made her research it more. And so she took the amendment, added it to something else she was doing, and presented that at city council. And it passed that way? And it passed. Wow. Right people at the right time, man. Right people. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, right people. Are, when you're doing the right stuff and you're authentic, it's from the heart, man. Like, I didn't start Urban Artists Alliance, and I don't, you know, fight for artists' rights just because it sounds cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm an artist, too. I remember there were shows that I did where I left the show, and I got $10. And the show was packed. I remember where I left shows, and I got twenty dollars i remember where I, I i made money and then the venue wants half of that money back because of whatever they claim i i had some drinks mm-hmm. you know and it just i've been there so when i when i talk to artists i'm like i'm doing it because i'm you but i'm in a i'm in a position now where i can be your voice piece exactly they can look at all the hip hoppers and be like man they ain't never gonna complain about nothing well i mean there is um and it sucks to say is that as a whether it's a venue owner or the scene in general, when you think oh the hip hop show, there's some negative connotation to it, mm. and because I don't know if it's the crowd, if it's the music, if what, but and it goes back to what we're, we're saying: if if the scene is so cliquish right. and so divided, 
then you know nothing can be done and you look at the the rock and right. all the others right every 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 genre has every genre has problems yeah hip hop is just more in your face you know what i mean and, and it's and it's really stigmatized over the years where a lot of people think of hip hop they're like there's going to be a fight there yeah there's going to be something there somebody might get shot there you know it, all this other stuff which you know doesn't happen mm-hmm. you know what i mean there there's there's worse fights at punk rock shows there's worse fights at rock shows but they're not put on the front page like mm-hmm. a big fight broke out at Antones. But they happen. You know what I mean? So, you know, hip-hop artists got to understand that we have that cloud over us, so we need to hold ourselves in a better light when we're out talking about issues, when we're doing shows. You know, and, and that's what makes, you know, with Urban Arts Alliance and AMP, when we did the whole pay-to-play with the amendment thing, is now artists have something to kind of stand on now. Mm-hmm. If, you, if there's a new venue and you're in that venue and they're treating you wrong, now you can go back to the city council and say, hey, remember that amendment that said no new venues, blah, blah, blah? Yeah. This venue is doing what y'all said they shouldn't be doing. So now they have recourse to go back and tell them, say, hey, now you got something to stand on instead of just complaining to other rappers. Right. I was saying, oh, this, this play, this city sucks. It's yeah, not this supporting. City, this city sucks. Yeah. This, this city sucks. Don't go, you know, don't go perform at so-and-so venue, but then everybody still performs at so-and-so venue. Right. So I mean, looking at all the stuff you've done, it it's, it seems like it's really geared towards edu- educating artists and uh, trying to get them to you know trying to get them to learn about the business side of the music right. music industry. Because I mean, if you don't know that, yeah, you shouldn't be paying, you know, any right. money to perform, then right. you're just gonna do it because you don't know right. anything about it. Yeah, it's, you know I me mean? exactly. That, that, you know, and that's kind of like where I'm in, am, am in my career now, where I'm all about. The educational part, you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm working with Grounded in Music, which is another nonprofit, mm-hmm. which helps, you know, younger artists and musicians learn music. So I'm going to start an eight-week program teaching young kids from, I believe, eight to 14 about music production. So is that I'm, part of the Urban Alliance or no? It's, it's, in, it's in partnership with. But oh, it's, okay. it's with Grounded in Music. They called me and said they wanted me to do a whole hip-hop thing with kids. So that's Actually, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, uh, so that's, I, my, that's my latest thing I'm doing. Um, I was wondering if it was classes, seminars. I know you go to speak at yeah. at schools and yeah. stuff. I like do, that. you know, what I mean, like I was gonna, uh, you know, I did one my first panel called Hip Hop Rhymes to Business Minds. Mm-hmm. I did that like 2011, maybe, and that was in partnership with the Austin Music Foundation, and it was packed, and it was 200 people there. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking, the panels are cool, and there's a lot of people there, but how many people am I really touching? Right. How many people are really getting what I'm saying and not just it's going over their head? Because so many people got so many different questions. So I made it where people can reach me directly through Facebook, email with their questions. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, in, in, a, in a day, in a day, I probably talked to maybe five, six people about music related issues. So people come to you now? Or people you? come to me. Oh, OK. They reach out to me and say, you know, I can live out of time. I'm accessible. You know, what I mean? like. Yeah, I'm an artist as well, but I know this business stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you got a question about licensing, copyrights, publishing, any of these things that may be on your mind, hit me up. And we can just chop it up, and I can just tell you what I think about it. You know what I mean? And say, hey, this is what I did. This is what works. You should try this with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And people like that better because it's more one-on-one. 
So they don't have to, st- you know, you know, when you go to a panel or a seminar, you have the speaker at the end of the panel. They're surrounded by 50 people yeah. throwing questions. Nobody wants to be in that and be the dude who asked something and they think might sound stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're just like, mm, I'm going to keep quiet. Yeah. But they, they, can, they can call me and hit me up and say, I- I'm thinking about this. It might sound stupid, but I'm like, no, no. You know, like your parents say, no question is stupid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I heard you say one of your thing, you know what I mean? Ask a question and you go to st- you go to sleep less stupid. Yep. Always go to bed less stupid. <laughs> I listen. Always go to bed less that's, stupid that's every so, night. That's so real. You learn something, you know, and, and to have somebody, you know, and that's another reason why I stay in Austin is because Austin needs somebody from the urban scene who has their back, who's done it all, and can really give them insight and knowledge on it. Or do you have someone that you took under your wing and just developed? Or is it like a more... It's more random. You know what I mean? Like, there's not one particular person I'm like, you know, saying, you know, you're going to be next and I'm giving them all the game. I give it to everybody. Like, my my game is, if you want it, I got it. You know what I mean? I don't charge for consulting. I don't, you know, when I do my panels or events or whatever I'm doing, I pay for it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I, you know. Is there like a meeting on a regular basis or something? No, it's, it's not a meeting on a regular basis because, you know, I don't want it to be too. Hip-hop is different. You know what I mean? Like, if you say, okay, we're all going to meet at this day to do this, this time, a lot of people aren't going to show up. Because hip-hop artists really aren't wired to think in a business, yeah, I, a business I, I, setting. I get like that. that. I get that. But, yeah. I mean, the reason why you're here today is because you were hungry for it when you were a kid. Right. So, if you're not, not going to you know, get in your car and show up at a meeting, true. you're not hungry enough. True, true. But then, you know, the the thing with me that I want, you know, I can agree with, I agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. But the thing with me is I understand that some people are hungry, but they don't know how to get to the food. And they don't know what's it going to take to kick it up a notch to get there. Like, they want to they be successful. They want to be successful artists. They want that. But they're like, you know, and, and with hip-hop, a lot of it is male-dominated, so you got the ego, you got the machismo, a lot of guys. Yeah, and you got all the stuff that's out there now, and you yeah. and you look at the end goal, like, yeah, I want to be like that dude, yeah. and it's yeah. like, well, you understand that that did not happen overnight. Yeah. And and I explain that, I explain that all, I tell a lot of people, like, overnight, an overnight success is usually 20 years. That's how overnight <laughs> success happens. It's real. Because, you know, because I mean, you think about it, like, you look at the stuff I've done now, and at this point, you're like, Grammys and yeah. all this stuff is crazy, but, you know, I've been here I've been here in Austin the whole time, and I've been putting in work the whole time. It's only now that I'm, I'm really getting on that bigger stage that people are like, wow, you know, tell me about Austin hip-hop. But I've been doing it since I was nine. I've been here. You know what I mean? I've been putting in this work. But right, now, right, right. now it's to the point where people are like, I never knew that was going on. I never knew. All this stuff was happening, you know. Do, do you know other people who are maybe in different in another scene who are kind of doing something similar to you? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? Like as far as in Austin, like yeah, in Austin, like yeah. rock and yeah. other stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's there's plenty of people like Gary Clark Jr. is a prime example. You know, he's been putting in work forever, and then all of a sudden, you know, he gets hit to the stratosphere and he wins a Grammy, and and everybody's like, you know, we love Gary Clark now. Yeah, but he's been here forever. You know what I mean? It's like you got to love your hometown kids before they blow. Because if you treat them like crap, anybody like crap, then when they blow, they out of here. Yeah, actually, they gonna, yeah. They're going to bounce. <laughs> I totally they gonna, understand that. They're going to bounce. They're going to be like, why should I rep that town when they wasn't repping me when I had nothing to rep? Right, right. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's why when I meet new artists, you know, even if I have a disagreement with artists and it's, you know, and it's like, I don't, I don't see what you're talking about and they don't get me, I still respect them as an artist because I want, only want the best for them. Mm-hmm. So I can listen to anybody who disagrees with me and give them my view and their view. And if we walk away separately and we don't agree, I still wish for them to become the best 
at whatever they're trying to be. I mean, at the end of the day, you're from here and you want to grow here. So right. have you gone anywhere else and trying to teach other people from other cities or other states? Not really. I've, I, actually, I've been talking to people in other cities and other states about an Urban Artist Alliance type of thing. Yeah, like a chapter over there. Yeah, a chapter because over there. when you know when Dead Prez came, they came to my studio. Mm-hmm. And um, I was recording for an album and a mixtape or something they were doing. And we were just talking and shooting the breeze, man. And I told them about Urban Artist Alliance. And they were just like, you know, M1 was like, wow. Like, that's a revolutionary for you to want to do that for hip hop and really helping your fellow artists to really do something. Like, he really felt it. He was like, you know, we need that in New York. We need that in Atlanta. We need that in Florida. We need that. But there you go. We're all these artists. And I'm like, hey, you know, well, I'm, I'm working. On, I want to get it out there. You know what I mean? Because artists need that. You know, they need to be able to look at somebody. You know, like when we were kids, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my mom would always tell me, you could be the first black president. Really? And we would always she be. Didn't, she didn't shoot low, did she? Yeah. She was like, <laughs> yeah. She was always, my mom's a teacher, too. Like, she was my teacher when I was, like, five. So she was, and my life teacher. She was always like, you could be the first black president. Baby, you could be anything you want. You can be a garbage man. You can be the best garbage man. You can be the best at anything you want. You can be the, somebody need to write a biopic you know, on you seriously. You, you can be the first. You can be the first black president. But see, the thing was, we never had a black president, so we can never visualize. Yeah. You know, and then now with Obama, you're like, oh, it can happen. Now you can be that. You know, so I feel like if I leave Austin, then people won't be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And be like, you know, because there's, there's, there hasn't ever been another hip hop artist in Austin who's gotten up to the part of dealing with the Grammys. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've pretty, you've pretty much, I mean, at this point, nobody tops you. I'm not saying that you, you, um, it's over. You know, I mean, right. you have, any, you don't have any more work to, to, to do. Right. But with such knowledge and all the stuff that you've gone through, I mean, like I said, somebody needs to write a biopic. You should write your own biopic, <laughs> by the way. And ca- and cast someone I don't know, yeah. but anyway, um, like like M one said, this should be in other cities because yeah. if it happens here, it has to happen somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, like you know, in every you know, you can you can look at Houston and Dallas. There are there are hip hop pockets and segments where they need people from their scene who are doing it to say you can be a success. Mm-hmm. You can be whoever. You don't have to hate on the next man for you to get yours. You don't have to disrespect anybody to get ahead in this music game as long as you as long as you know your business. You know what I mean? If you know your business and you know your value and you know your worth, you can maneuver these waters. You know, the minute I the minute I learned that I can own my publishing and nobody can take that away from me. Mm-hmm. I own my copyrights, I own my masters, I own my music. Nobody can take that away from me. That's power. Cause that means like if somebody wants to license my music for Breaking Bad or All She Can or The Big Game or any of these movies I've done, I get the final say. Mm-hmm. I say yes or no. You know, if if a if a cigarette company wants to, you know, or a beer company wants to use one of my songs, I can say no, mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about somebody else making that decision for me because of the dollar. So, but but you were able to do it back then. Is that right. something that's still doable today? Yeah, Every, you know I me. Mean? Everything is doable. You know, it's it's all about you adjusting to the times. Right. Just like putting out records. Like back then, you know, we had to catch the bus and we had to mail out our demos and we have to. Mm-hmm. Now you can send MP3s. Now you can do. Now you have technology. So if you're an artist and you're not utilizing the technology at hand, maybe you shouldn't be an artist. Because now it's so easy to get to blogs, 
to get to radio. Oh, you mean to get like the promoters, the SoundClouds, yeah, and the it, yeah. If you're social not, media, yeah, if you're not Bandcamp. If you're not out there using that to get your music to that next level, then maybe you should reevaluate your position. You maybe you shouldn't be an artist. Maybe you should be on the business end. Mm-hmm. Like there's many. The, the thing people need to understand is with music, there's many ways to make money besides being the front guy. Right. Everybody wants to be a star. I know. When I was eight years old, I wanted to be the guy at the front of the stage at Maplewood Elementary singing. And yet you turned it back to him. And I, tr- <laughs> and, I and I tried that and it didn't work. So <laughs> I was like, maybe I should try something else. Maybe I should try this rapping thing. My voice wasn't what it needed to be singing. And I, I realized that. And I didn't need nobody to, like my mom, you know, your parents always say you got a beautiful voice. Yeah. They love whatever you do. You know what I mean? So my, my dad was more like. My, my parents never told me that. Yeah. My mom, my mom was like, you know, you sound great. You know, whatever. I'll help you do whatever. I'll, you know, I'll ride the bus with you. My dad was more like, man, I don't know about that singing. That ain't really. That ain't. Mm-mm. That, don't, that don't really sound good. Sorry. You know what I mean? My mom was like, Mike, let the boy do what he want to do. My dad was like, if we don't tell him, who going to tell him? Exactly. That's what my parents tell me. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's how I grew up. So a lot of artists, you know, they might see me and be like, I'm harsh to them. Or I got a, you know, a steel fist and I, you know. But that's just how I, I got into the game. I didn't, I, didn't come, I didn't come into the game with people coddling me saying, don't yeah, worry, we got best. you covered. Yeah, don't yeah. worry. You know, it was always like, you know, when I met Casanova, I busted my ass before he really, like, even really wanted to deal with me by carrying his records. Mm-hmm. You know, because nobody else wanted to do that hard work of lifting up those big crates mm-hmm. and carrying them to the shows all the time but i did yeah i mean but that was i guess the hustle back then was um i don't want to say hold on i'm trying to think of the right term here like you got like you got all the right people and you were really you really wanted it mm-hmm. today you can probably get as much done without having to carry crates around totally. and all that. So totally. when you say, when you say using technology, um, what are you what what some of the well yeah some of the stuff yeah like I say you know like to record your album like for instance GarageBand you know what I mean like you can get GarageBand and record demos mm-hmm. you start cutting demos and a lot of music really isn't based on sonic fidelity meaning it doesn't have to be the top notch quality of music as long as there's that emotion in it i've heard songs that sound like scratchy demos but the emotion and the rawness of like the first 36 chambers yeah wu-tang album you know sonically and technology wise and studio wise horrible album Mm -hmm. you know i mean the loops were off you know the the interludes were cut weird you know all these problems you can name about it but when you listen to the album, it's a masterpiece. When you finally go back and listen to it, you're like, okay, it makes sense now. You know what I mean? So they, they didn't have a lot. They had like the two-inch tape, an EPS 16-plus sampler. They had very limited things, so they used what they had to make mm-hmm. their records. You know, And now with artists, you can get a full studio inside of your laptop. Yeah. That's so true. you can start making better records off, off your laptop. And you, know, you can make the album. You can send it to SoundCloud or Bandcamp, and you can start selling it tonight. Mm-hmm. And you can start shooting the links out to blogs. Like, it's ridiculous. Now, like, now I'm really getting more into, like, shooting my stuff out to blogs and really embracing that, you know what I mean? That's where it's at now. And I, yeah, and I, and I love it because I remember getting on the bus with backpacks full of demos to mail, CDs to mail. You know what I mean? That's no fun. 
riding a bus for two, three hours to get downtown to the post office and riding it back just to do it again. Mm-hmm. Now you wake up in the morning, email list, 1,000, 2,000 people, blast, boom. Yeah, we've come a long way. You know what I mean? So for artists, artists need to understand that those opportunities are there and not not make excuses. You know what I mean? I'd be like, well, I don't have a computer. Well, go to the library. Go rent one. You have no excuse today not to have access to any any of these resources. It's like you can't, you you, you know what I mean? It's like, and you know, and that's why a lot of artists be like, man, you hard on us, man. You just... Cause I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to hear excuses. No shit. I don't want to hear you say yeah, I can't, I, you, I can't do something. I, you know, there's no if way. If you're not hungry, you ain't gonna get it. It's I don't that I, simple. I don't want to hear people like, but my parents, man, like, my mom would slap me to this day if she ever heard me say I can't do something. If I, <laughs> if if she ever heard me say, <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna do that. You know, and and I would say the highlight. You know, the, this kind of off topic maybe, but I would think one of the highlights of my career. Was my mom's a very strong person, right? Uh-huh. I've only seen her maybe cry, maybe five times. Like you know, when I was little, me and my brother maybe got whoopings when my dad passed away. But the last time she actually shed a tear was when I got T Double Day, because to her that was the culmination of that day when I was eight years old, and she asked me what I want for Christmas, and I said I wanted a keyboard. Why everybody else was getting bikes and football stuff and, you know, and we didn't really have money. Like, I didn't come from a family of money. Like, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a janitor. Uh-huh. So, didn't have expendable cash. And I was like, I want a keyboard. So, when I got T-Double Day, it just it just showed that, you know, she did the right thing. Like, she took a, she t- took all, a leap of faith in me and said, all came full circle. she said, I'm going to save up my money and we're going to get you, you know, a $100, $200 keyboard and a little jam box and a little four-track recorder that I could put in my bedroom with some headphones on. That's my first setup with a little microphone. And you could record your demos at home instead of at Sears. I want to see that movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I really do. But the thing is, it's all, it's all real life, man. It's no, like, I, I know, but you know, it, it, I think it's, it's, maybe, it's maybe, wild. Man. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm cynical, but that sounds great for the times, but it's changed so much and things move so fast that... Like we said, people don't have necessarily have the patience, right, to even go through have a, a yeah, newsletter, yeah, I talk, I talk, or build a website. Yeah, I talk to a lot of artists and even internships. You know, what I mean, and like artists, you know, a lot of artists are like I don't want an internship. Like I'm already a, a dope artist. I just want a deal. But exactly, you know, I'll make that paper. I, yeah, but like I always tell them, man, relationships, relationships. If you put in the work and you go to a studio or to an ad agency or any job and you say, I just want to learn. Like, if you could pay me, great. But I just want to learn. They look at they, you like, wow, they still make people yeah. like you. Come and on the, in. And, the, and, the, and then when it's time to hire somebody, they'll have you and they'll have the guy who just graduated from UT or wherever, and they'll pick you because you've been there. Mm-hmm. And you already know the system and you already put in that work. So they'll hire you and pay you more for the time served already. You know what I mean? So... Just like, you know, when there was, there used to be a studio, I'm, I'm going to give you all this shit. Tell me if I start rambling, because I get into these old man moves. That's fine. That, 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 that <laughs> my boys always laugh at me about, because I got I all remember these, back in the day. I got all these stories. But there was a place called Lubbock or Leave It, and it was downtown, and it was owned by Butch Hancock, who was a singer-songwriter. Famous singer-songwriter, right? At the time, I didn't know. Uh-huh. But Lubbock or Leave It was his little store about Lubbock and all those things. And in the back, he had a wall full of cassette duplicators where he pressed up his tapes. Well, a friend of mine, when I was at Tribes, this other teacher named Dewey took me over there 
to introduce, you know, to let me see the setup. And while I was there, I told Butch Hancock, I was like, I want to work here. Like, this is so cool. He was like, well, I can't hire you. I don't have no money to, you know, mm -hmm. to do that. It's just him and this lady named Barbara. I don't know if that was his wife or whatever, but she was always there. Maybe she was just a store manager. He was like, I can't hire you. I said, but what do I got to do to get that box of tapes? He used to have a whole bunch of blank cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. How can I get those tapes to record T-Double records and press them up here? Because he had all the tape decks on the wall. He was like, I don't know. I was like, look, this is what I'll do. In exchange for those tapes, I'll sweep up your floors. So when I get out of school, I'll come over here till, you know, six to nine. And I'll clean up, I'll sweep, and I'll burn my tapes at the same time. He was like, deal. So my first tapes that really started hitting the streets in Austin mm -hmm. was because I was sweeping floors. So you tell that to some kid today, be like, fuck sweeping yeah, floors. Yeah, they'd be like, what are you, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. But it built that relationship with him where like, you know, now I still see him and it's like, now I know he's super famous. Right. And so now it's cool, like, oh, what's up? And he tells everybody like, you should sweep my floors. This kid <laughs> came in here on the humble and swept the floors. You know, now a lot of artists in Austin, bigger artists and the music scene look at me as they're equal now because of the Grammys and yeah. everything else. But then when they hear the story, they get it. They'd be like, I did yeah, you earned that. You I earned a, all yeah. the success. I did a lot of stuff that a lot of artists wouldn't do and still won't do to, to learn this game. You know, I never tried to cut lines. I never tried to cut corners. I never tried to play nobody out. I never tried to diss on nobody. I never did nothing like that. I was just like, I'm just going to work hard. And if you work hard, that will get noticed. So when you meet people who talk about me, the first thing they tell you, man, T-Double done put in that work. Because I have. You know I mean? That's, that's verifiable. You know, a lot of people can say they put in that work, but you're like, okay, well, where is it? I done put what in that, you got to for it? I done, put, I done put in that work, you know, and like I say, I'm proud of it. You know what I mean? I'm blessed to, you know, have to have been able to do all the things I've had. And, you know, and being with the Grammys was just like when I got on the board. So that, what, what does that mean that not you're part of the Grammys in, uh, well, in being, Texas? Yeah, well, being on the board, well, what they do is they find artists in, in Texas that have acquired and achieved certain things in their career mm -hmm. to put them on the board. You know what I mean? Like. You know, we have Grammy-winning producers. We have guys who produce for David Bowie, Ozzy Osbourne. Like, oh shit, the board—the board is real. But with that, we get to go to you know the Capitol and we fight for artist rights. We fight for intellectual properties. We fight for making sure that artists own their music. We have uh, Grammys on the Hill where we go to Capitol Hill in Washington, mm -hmm. and we do the same thing there. And we fight for different rights and different different things. Like if there if there's a certain legal thing legislation that's about to lapse, yeah. we fight to make sure that it's, it's reinstated, you know, and we have Grammys Cares for Health, and we have all these things that are beyond the Sunday night trophy that wow. people see on TV. Like, there's so many things, so, you know, when when I had been a voting member for a while, and um, a friend of mine, Carlos Sosa, who's a sax player with Boombox, yeah, Boombox, he, he was already on the board, and he was like, yo, T, man, you should really think about being on the board, and I was like, that's cool, you know, because you don't really think too much about the Grammys except they give out a, a Grammy. Yeah, that's all, that's all we know. Yeah, they that's give out a Grammy. So he really put me on and gave me more in-depth about it. And I was like, okay, I'm down. If they ever want to get to that point, I'm down. So they got to nominate you. They put your name into, you know, the hat, so to speak. And I got the call and was like, you know, you've been voted onto the board. You know what I mean? So... Bravo. It was good. That it, that it, is it a culminate. That it, is it was, tops. It, it was crazy, man. And then you know, and then to go to the Grammys, it was like I couldn't stop talking to my mom about it. Because you know, when I was young, 
9, 10, 11, 12, when the Grammys came on TV, I was planted in front of the TV, <laughs> just watching the Grammys, like, one day, son. One day, like, man, that's amazing. Like, how do, what? You got to sell a, a zillion records to get a Grammy. <laughs> like, I'll never be able to do that, but I'm going to try. So yeah, you did. You know, and, not, and, you yeah, know, and, then another... be, and then to be sitting at the Grammys, and there's Pharrell, and there's Justin Timberlake, and there's Prince, and there's Adele, and there's all these artists that are like, you know, trendsetters and, you know, the the new wave of what's happening for me to be in the same room is, you know, like I said, you know, that's why I had to come out with the home ki- Hometown Kid album because I'm still, I'm still tyranny, the eight-year-old at Maplewood Elementary. With Strawberry li- Shortcake. With Strawberry Shortcake, <laughs> recording my demo at Sears, listening to eight tracks, my dad's records, wishing, you know, that somebody would hear these songs. All right. Well, we'll be talking for an hour and fifteen minutes, man. <laughs> this is no, this is great. And we I still love left it. a lot of stuff out. I love it. I love. Yeah. I mean, we could talk for three hours easy. Yeah. We'll do so, a part two. Um, give me some uh, like three takeaways uh, for young artists listening to the show, so they go to bed less stupid when they hear this. Go to bed less stupid. I would say <laughs> the first thing is believe in yourself. You know, and that might sound cliche. Mm-hmm. But that is one of the hardest things for artists because we're we're pulled in so many directions by what other rappers tell us, what we see on TV, what magazines say that we don't we're in an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what we want to be. You got to believe in you and believe in what you are and what you stand for. And my second thing, which could also be my first, is learn the business. Get a book. You know, what I mean, read, read up on it, you know, reach out to somebody who know who's been there, who's done it. Holla at T-Double. You know, <laughs> hey, you know, whoever, you know, and just say whoever you feel most comfortable talking to that has done something you're trying to do. That's that's who you get the best advice from. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's done it. You know, if you want to start a record label, you don't go talk to the, you know, mechanic. You go find Russell Simmons. Yeah. You know, what I mean, so, you know, do that thing. And I would say the third is. Just keep being creative. You know what I mean? The world the world is a never-ending story. There's there's so many ways you can find things. You know, like when, when we got in, we were looking outside and we saw the landscape and mm-hmm. all that. You know what I mean? You could write 100 songs about that. You know what I mean? So you always got to stay creative and, you know, whether it's good times, sad times, not everything has to be happy and not everything has to be sad. Just write about how you're feeling and and, and put it out and or, you know, just record it and, Put it away. At least, you know, once you record something, it's like on my Lost Scriptures album, I had a song called Time Pieces. Mm-hmm. And Time Pieces is what I call my records. Because when I make a record, I don't really sit on that record. And like, I got to learn every song and I got to go out and promote this record really hard. It's like a time like a time capsule. Mm-hmm. How was I feeling this week, this month when I made that record? And then I move it along. So, even you know, record what your feelings. And even if you don't put them out, just make it a little time capsule, a little time piece for how you were feeling and reflect on it later, but stay creative, learn the business, and always stay authentic and stay you. Wow. Hope y'all learned that. Go to bed less stupid tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right, so um, that, that's that's really good insight. I'm not an artist, and I feel like I've learned a lot. <laughs> you ready to make a record? I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> I think I have the equipment, to be honest with you. I got you the do. mics, I got the mixer, I got GarageBand. <laughs> Let's do. record a track right now. You no, do. <laughs> you do. I told you I can't rap. I don't have a voice. Anyway. Um, I was going to get into, uh, let's play a game. Okay. Let's play a game. Let's see if you keep up with what's going on. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, last weekend was the X, uh, the X Games. Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of an NFL player taken 
and that made like the rounds all over social media, got on TV and everything. Do you remember the? Do you know the name of that player? Uh, was that a uh, Johnny Manziel? Yeah, the guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And where was it taken? What was the? Was it in like a pool party? Yeah. Or something. And he was on a champagne and a uh, inflatable swan. Yep. At Rio. There you go. And my boy uh, Obi Ariguzo took yeah. that picture and then put it out there and then it's everywhere. Got credit. Yeah. He's like, oh, just took a. He he was surprised that nobody else took that picture. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. So good for him. Good for him. Uh, let's see. This weekend is uh, Rut Rally. Mm-hmm. You know, every weekend we get a festival now. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I've been here. I've been here 16 years. Yeah. And it wasn't like that before. Now every weekend is hey, yeah. wine festival, music festival, exactly. and that corner motorcycle. Yeah. Why not? Do you know what year started? Mm. I can give you some ch- some uh, op- some uh, choices. Yeah, give me some choices. All right, 1990, 1995, 98, or 2000. The rod. You're Austin born and raised. The What was the first time that you saw a bunch of bikes? 2000. 2000? Yeah. Final answer? Yeah. Eh. Mm, 95. 95. 95. Yep, long time. I remember hearing them. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> especially, you know, out, out by my mom's house, by the exposition center where all the bikes would go park. Yeah. Their thing. My God. It's a lot of Insane. noise. Insane. But I mean, they got to have their own, I guess. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, name the bar. It's a bar that's pretty central downtown. Mm. Has a patio upstairs with a playground. I just gave it away right there. A patio upstairs with a playground. With a playground? And the staff wear short shorts. All dudes. Uh, maybe there's a couple of girls. And they all wear short shorts. It's pretty central. I don't know. It, the Rio? No, I don't know. No. I just reused that because we said about Johnny yeah. I don't know. And the name describes either a steering mechanism or facial. A type of facial hair. Come on. Oh, a uh, handlebar? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Say, it does have a playground the, the upstairs. Minute, the, minute you said, the minute you said facial hair, I thought of DJ Protege. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, he DJs there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On Saturdays. Go check him out every Saturday, Protege, with the mustache. I, the whole staff wears handlebars and yep. wears short shorts. Do you know D, another piece of history real quick? DJ Protege used to DJ for me when I did um, an event at Stubbs in the basement called Illmatic Flow. Where, was, what was that? It was... Right before, well, it was actually maybe during, right before, right during the time of Hip Hop Hum Day first started, when it was at the old Mercury, really? yeah, Mercury. where they had um, Tiger Lou from from uh, Afro Freak and the people were the the original Hip Hop Hum Day. Yeah. I was doing Illmatic Flow in the basement of Stubbs. Wow, you going back? Hip Hop yeah. Hum Day was my yeah. shit. Yeah. I remember that last show, all freestyle, yeah. all man. Our, st- our our shows were mega, where the line was. Around the corner, down the street, oh yeah, to see locals. Like, when was the last time you saw that? Oh, it was a, f- a full band. It yep. was all freestyle all night, yep. and it was the hip hop that I loved. Yep. So and it was we, like we, I had to be there every we've Wednesday. Had, we've had many people come in there. We had De La Soul stop through. I believe we had Inspector Deck from Wu Tang come through. Yes, I think we've had uh, the Last Poets come through, um, which was cool because the Last Poets compared Bavu and myself to uh, like Coltrane and Miles. Really? That's how the last poets compared me and Babu. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to say, like I said, we need a Red Fez reunion. We need a totally. Hip Hop Hum Day because that shit. I mean, Trey, yep. Element, you. Yep. Bavu, it was, you got to bring was, it back. It was landmark, man. It was, it, was, it was one of those things where, like, you know, if a show let out at Stubbs, we were there with the big poster boards. Like, yeah. come to the Mercury, me and Bavu, you know, like, promoting, like. Artists don't do that no more. We were there like... No, they just come blast to, on Facebook. Yeah, we were there like, come to our show, come to our show. And everybody would be like, maybe we should go to that show. <laughs> that, was, that was the way to hustle now. Yeah. I mean, back then. Yeah, and everybody, you know, we, we've any any big show that was, you know, that was in town, wound up, that was on a Wednesday, wound up coming to Hip Hop Hunt Day. Guaranteed. That was the mecca, man. It really was. Um, So we listened to the last show. Actually, I have another question before that. Yeah. Uh, if you're out on a Friday or Saturday, where would you go and why? Hmm. If you're out, if you ever get out of hibernation in your studio yeah. where you stay 24-7. Friday or Saturday? Just to, see, just to be outside one time I the whole month. It's I a Friday night. I don't I don't know, man, because, you know, honestly, man, I don't I don't really, you know, the clubs the clubs change so much. That's true. Sometimes people will mention a club, and I'll be like, when did that club open? What did that use? Where was that? You know what I mean? So... I mostly go out now if there's a particular invite or if there's a particular show going on that I'm already aware of. I don't really get out as much anymore and just kind of random. Yeah. You know, go from venue to venue. I don't really do that anymore. But if, you know, if some friends are having a show, if there's a dope hip hop act or some, one of my DJ friends are doing something, they want me to come check it out, mm-hmm. then that's probably where I'll be. And that could be anywhere. Anywhere. So live hip hop. That's, yep. that's, that's what gets you yep. out of, your, out of yep. the studio. Yeah. And I always try to go out and support newer, younger artists. Yep. You know what I mean? Because I feel like that's very important for them to, you know, see some older cats there and to put bodies in the room. You know, if, if the venues see that they're bringing out people, the venues will be more willing to pay the artists. Exactly. You know, and if there's artists performing and nobody's there, they're going to be like, well, three people came, so why are you asking for money? There you go. Uh, so you heard the last show with Corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Shout out to Corrupt and Richie Rich. Rich. I, I love them. Man. Yeah. Um, question about the show. What celebrity came in Red Fez and then they got him fucked up? Lance Armstrong. Nice. Boom. Nice. Did pay attention. Thank you. Yes, sir. Cool, cool. Uh, I think that's um, that's it. We're going to get into plug, shout outs, whatever you got going on. How can people reach you? Yeah, Twitter, er- yeah, all that er- stuff. Everybody, you know, at Twitter is at Tyranny Johnson. I don't have at the real T double. I don't have any of those crazy things. It's at Tyranny Johnson, T-E-R-R-A-N-Y Johnson. Or you can go to www.T-E-E-D-O-U-B-L-E.com. And that's where all my albums are, my videos are. There's videos of T-Double Day. There's videos of when I got the Austin Music Award. There's all types of cool little stuff on there. There's pictures of my studio. There's a link to the Urban Artist Alliance as well. So yeah. everything's, so on, everything's on T-Double.com. Go there. And all your artistic needs shall be met. Uh, the album that you just did last weekend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. The new album, which will be dropping September 30th, is called Acrobatics. Kind of like, you know, aerobics in a way, but it's Acrobatics. And it was originally going to be an instrumental album. Oh. But then I started, after I made all the beats, I started writing raps to the beats. Because I had a whole bunch of beats. And I was like, let's just make it an album. So... Knocked it out, you know, and I just released the hometown kid uh, back in March. Yeah. So that's that's doing good. You know, what I mean, so the records are coming, man. Nice. Nice. So hey, go support that guys. He's He's been putting it work for 20 plus years, yeah. still doing it. So you got to go and check it out. No doubt. 
Um, and shout out to all the all the artists in Austin doing hip hop, man. You know, everybody out there putting in your work. Stay on it, man. There's a lot of talent in town. Don't waste it. Go support. Yep. Go support. There's a lot of stuff coming up. And let's get into this week. Let's see. Thursday, uh, if you're in, in the mood from some, for some uh, underground hip-hop and some local stuff, Pigeon John, Grace Call, Crew 5-4, mm-hmm. a bunch of other artists are performing at uh, Holy Mountain, uh, 9 o'clock on Thursday, uh, 8 bucks. I mean, that's nothing. Eight bucks is one drink. You can spare one drink and go go support. Totally. Uh, if you're in the mood for some uh, Chicago house type stuff, uh, you can go see Four Jacks at Kingdom at two at 10 p.m. Uh, that's Blendy, who I had on the show. Uh, Jamal, Mark Denham, and Kadabra. Uh, no cover. Go check it out. Go support. And if you're in the mood for some uh, funk, soul, disco type thing, uh, Empire Control Room is the place to be on Thursday with DJ Mel, uh, Richard Gear, Colin Bass, and Dan Gentile. So uh, 21 plus, of course, no cover. Just go dance it up. So those are your options for Thursday. Uh, let's see. Friday is uh, Guilty Pleasures with DJ Fucking A and Honeycomb mm-hmm. uh, over at Cheer Up Charlie's on uh, Red River. So go check them out, too. It's really good times. Uh, Saturday is the OK Player, uh, mm. the Tipping Point. Tipping Point. Yeah. Uh, that's at Empire, uh, hosted by Riders Against the Storm, who I had on the show, too, so go listen to that. Uh, it will feature Jackie, v- Jackie Vinson, who's really, really talented. I've seen her before. Really good. Uh, Subculture Patriots, uh, uh, Golden Dawn uh, Orchestra. It's only five bucks. That's Saturday, so go check that out. Anything else you got coming up you want to... Nah, just, you know, go out and support, you know, support the artists, support the arts and support, you know, the next level of talent coming through because they need your support. They need to know that somebody out there cares about what they're doing and not the cookie cutter stuff that you're being forced to hear. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Uh, so that's it, guys. Make sure you uh, like on Facebook, uh, share on Twitter, tell your friends. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Just look up the feedback on your phone and it will come up. You can listen to all the shows. Uh, I got some really good guests coming up, uh, including uh, Chicken George, uh, DJ Charlie, DJ Jessica. Got a bunch of people coming up. Uh, comment. Let me know what you think because without your feedback, there is no feedback. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. <laughs> uh, you can email email me at podcast at the feedback.com uh, rate us on iTunes on Stitcher too uh, this weekend is Rock Rally so be safe out there uh, respect the road I mean not respect the road share the road with all the uh, the bikers and uh, everything should be great and that's pretty much it thank you Mr. T-Double Peace. thank you so oh whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa. Well, hold on <laughs> hold on Hold on, you can't leave without a freestyle. <laughs> I was getting carried away here, but shit, uh-uh. You can't be uh, talking all that and then be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh, you got to do it. Hold on. <laughs> all right, so before we go, yeah. you're going to have to take it away. T-double. I got to earn my vittles. Yes, sir. All right, drop it. Yes, yes, yes. You are now in tune. Give it one, two, two. Uh, uh, give it one, two, two. Uh, uh, give it one, two, two. Uh. Now what you know about rhyming, spitting, while I get inside of the zone. 
kill microphones any tone I'm on no you really need that T double rocking on the air with the feedback he's on stitcher pose for the picture I'm one of the sickest to rhyme with you and if you never see nobody do it how I did it ran with it I see a red cup I know we got lifted tilted wilted while it's just blooming gotta keep moving when the baseline consuming mic to the boom box so it sound clear right now T-dubs in your ear acrobatics this year is the record that's dropping they heard that it's the hometown kid and he's so superb my freestyle's alive you can check it when I scan looking over the land rock garage band sitting in the leather chair I don't care when I hear the beat with the kicks and all snares running through the Mackie transmit through the wires gotta keep it moving set the place on fire and when I rhyme I keep the song on and like Corrupt and rich, they said they had Armstrong getting tilted right up at the Red Fairs. I'm one of a kind, yeah, that's what the best said. They never heard nobody rhyming like him. The way I gotta keep it moving, fill it up to the brim. When the beats sound heavy and the rhymes sound fly, this is Motown 25 by Elzai. And I can show you how it's supposed to be, cause I'm ill. I'm still one of a kind, and it's time to build. I can take it right back to when I was a kid. When I recorded at Sears, making all of these hits, and now I'm much older. Watch how I jam these couple of records right at the Grammys And he gotta be the liveest I know that the rhymes be remarkable My rhymes go go And I put them on a platter Matter of fact the bladder It might get filled with the liquor Whenever it's poured inside of the pitcher Put inside of the cup Whenever you're pouring it up T-doubles in the cut But they don't understand that I come from the town I'm from the east side Where the beats ride And of course he like things that sound smooth And T rides anytime I show improving the words get better headphones get fitted cats be amazed the way the young boy spit it and i keep rhyming on and on don't doubt me and maybe this weekend you'll see me at the rock rally riding on the cycles recite those type of flows that they never seen i got a high nose and tight ropes and what i walk upon and i ain't never fail t-double is the illest and i will excel Oh hell, the boy won't quit Gotta keep it moving, it's easy now when I spit My mind is like a computer, I downloaded the hits And then I put inside of the wire, I transmit When your hands clapping and your hands just split And when they start cramping, the speakers get damped When I start spitting so much that it just get wet I'm just freestyling and this ain't even my best And I guess you don't understand, but you need me I came to rock at the feedback, I turned on Neely Then I came down the street and yo, what could it be? He stayed upstairs in the Apartment 243, we knocked on the door, I came in, I had a seat, then he plugged on the microphone, my words leave my teeth, and when they train it, damn, I almost coughed, but I keep rhyming until my mic cuts off, and of course, y'all, never seen nobody who's ill, I'm still one of a kind, man, it's time to build, like brick by brick, foundation is strong, my name is T-Double, I'm gone, I carry on. <sighs> Holy shit! The hometown kid, I'm telling you. Man, you fucking killed it. And you give out you give out my address too. <laughs> I don't care. I'm like... trying to build your groupie your groupie stats up. <laughs> Dude, that shit was solid. I got nothing. I got look, I, I should just shut shut up and end it right here. <laughs> Appreciate uh, you for having me, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so, so very much. I had a lot to say, a lot of insight to give. All the young artists out there listening. Uh, holler at this man because he has the knowledge and he wants to share it. So you have no excuses. None. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks again. T-Double. All the best. Ciao.